Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. What's happening, everybody? It is Wednesday, September 6th. That's, that's right, it is. Yep. Hope you had a good Labor Day. Yeah, yeah. What is what is Labor Day about? I know it has to do with unions and... It is celebrating the honor and the dignity of the laborer. And it, it, did, it did have to do with the unions. It, yeah. it started as a, a movement of the unions and grew into... I mean, I know Oregon adopted the holiday legally first. New York followed suit, although the movement began primarily in New York and spread across the entire continental USA. Huh. Yeah. I, uh, so, you know, the new threads app or whatever. Yeah. It's uh, Instagram's, it's Instagram's challenge to X, right. Which used to be called Twitter. Yeah. Well, I'm not on, I'm not on that, but it recommends threads that I might be uh, interested in. Of and course it did. The other day on Labor Day, it recommended Hillary Clinton. Of course <laughs> it did. I knew it. I knew it. Like how, why? Why did you vote for her? Just tell us right now. <laughs> what, what caused you to vote? We want to know. We have a right to know. Uh, well, you know, but no, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyone out there that's like, he voted. I did not vote for Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Threads thinks he did. Threads is messed up. Anyway, she was all <laughs> excited about unions and labor. So that brought up, uh, that's mind, but mm. yeah. Great. So it's not Labor Day today, though. It's Wednesday. It's not. It's Wednesday, which is actually a day removed from Labor right. Day. You better be laboring today is what we're saying. That's what we, Yeah. Make up for the day you took off, which has always been so funny, right? Take you, Labor Day, you don't work. It right. feels like you should work double for free. Right. Right. You're working. Keep working. Keep <laughs> going. Keep going hard. Um, yeah. Did you guys do anything fun on Labor Day? Labor I actually came day? to work <laughs> for a little bit. Did you? Yeah, I did. I got my haircuts. Okay. And Looks good, by the way. Thank you. You yeah. know, it's funny because every time I go, I never know what to expect. Yeah. Because like, I ask for a thing, but apparently a thing is interpreted differently by every stylist and haircutist. Yeah. So I kind of don't know what to get anymore. And, and honestly, I'm at the place in my life where I, I care enough to ask for the specific things. But if it gets, if I get a bad cut, like whatever. It's like, I got a hat. I'm going to live with it. Yeah, exactly. I got yeah. a hat. I can live. I'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, I need to get a haircut, so maybe you can tell me where you went so I don't have to go there. I mean, <laughs> no, seriously, though. I mean, it looks good. Well, she does a good job. Okay. The guy, so I, I typically trust her, even though she does different stuff. I trust her. I went to this place in California while we were out there yeah. for a while. It's called Dank Cuts. Dank? Dank. Like stinky? I, like I, it's dank in this basement. Like that kind of thing? Well, uh, for them, they were making it like it's cool. Oh, it's a cool word now. Yeah. Wow. And they, they were addressing the very thing that you were just talking about because they map your head and then they like programmed it into their computer so that they know what on earth? whoever it is that's cutting your hair will cut your hair the same way every time because it's all they they map it into your the program and then they've got these tools and things that they use and they'll cut it to the same specifications every time do they put your head like in one of those things that go over the top of your head like when women are getting perms like no. one of those machines no it wasn't like that because then you can't guarantee a consistent cut then hey it was dank it was dank it was dank stank <laughs> stank dank Anyways, I don't think they have dent cuts out here anymore. Oh, man. Or you know what I would like? I would like a Twin Peaks barber. Because I, I, when I went to Twin Peaks when I was in Mission Viejo. Yeah. Dude, 15 bucks a cut, man. And it was so good. Go see Kim. If you're listening to me and you're in South Orange County and you want a cheap haircut that's consistently good, see Kim at Twin Peaks 2 in the RSM Shopping Center. Well, out here, don't go to Twin Peaks. 
if you see a sign for Twin Peaks. Different thing out here. It's, yeah. Okay. It's a restaurant that is not... uh, We're not in Song of Solomon yet, bro. No. We can stop that. (laughs) Don't go there. I'm just telling you, if you see that, it's not a haircutting place. Don't go get a haircut at Twin Peaks. Yeah. Well, hey, we are not in Song of Solomon. We're in the book of Proverbs. So, yes. Yeah, let's jump in. (laughs) For now. Let's jump in uh, Proverbs 9 and 10 today. Proverbs 9 wraps up kind of the last proverb where we have some sort of thematical treatment here before we get into chapter 10, and we'll address that here momentarily. But in chapter 9, you've got wisdom again. She's there. She's present. She's calling out to the simpleton in verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, come eat of my bread, drink of the wine that I have mixed. So wisdom is inviting the simpleton to come and learn from her, to come and, and live wisely in light of her instruction. And she talks about the uh, the scoffer and she's giving some instruction or Solomon's giving some instruction here to his son as he's writing these things saying, hey, be careful basically who you choose to correct and reprove. There are some people that are going to welcome that and there are others that are going to ignore you and even hate you for that. So be careful. And this is going to be a theme throughout the, the rest of the book of Proverbs, how we deal with correcting someone, how we deal with correcting a fool and whether we should or whether we shouldn't and what's the benefit there. And, and when we're corrected, what should we do and what should our response be? Solomon hits on that in this center section of chapter nine, but then there's woman folly again in the, the end of the chapter. And I want you to notice that her invitation in verse 16 is the same exact invitation as the invitation of wisdom in verse four. When the it's woman folly speaks up. Yeah. She says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here and to him who lacks sense. So the invitation is the same. It sounds the same. It looks the same on the surface. And so often that can be true of temptation. It, it looks like something that's innocuous, like something that's benign, like something that's no big deal. And yet underneath is the danger. Underneath is that which leads to death. Oh, right. The very last sentence in this chapter is, he does not know, the simple, does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol, which which kind of hits the face or hits against the face of one of our common proverbs that we use in our, our culture. Ignorance is bliss. Right. right? We say that all the time. I, right. In fact, I, I use that in certain contexts, but here scripture is saying ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is actually death. He, he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So it's behooving of a Christian to not be an ignorant Christian. We must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, second Peter three eighteen, lest we find ourselves in a situation of our own doing because we were unaware. Right. Right. And we've talked about that recently with regards to in Paul's instructions in first Corinthians that, uh, there's that way of escape. Right. And in part of the way we uncover that is by pulling back the veil on the temptation and seeing what the end of this temptation is. Okay. What happens if I give in? What happens if I pursue this? What happens if I go after this? And if we're, uh, if we're, we're, we'll do that work, we'll often find that, man, this is, this is not going to satisfy. This is going to leave me dejected and ashamed and condemned and guilty. And that's, that's the exposure that we need. We need to, to see the hook underneath the, the lure, so to speak of, of temptation there and recognize that it's, that's it's right. dangerous. Yep. Chapter 10, then we get into what is going to be true of really the rest of the book of Proverbs. And that is that there's really no clear cut theme that emerges here where you can group the chapter or even multiple verses in the chapter together and say, these verses are about this. And this verse is about this. It's really kind of a compilation of different. Yeah. Proverbs. Exactly. Um, 
that all uh, show up and are are helpful, but it's not really a thematic. So what we're going to do as we go through these is Pastor Rod and I are probably going to alternate here and, and give uh, a couple of the, the Proverbs from each of these chapters that really stand out to us or that we find insightful or helpful in parenting or just in life in general. And uh, that's what we'll do as we, we go through these chapters there. Fun. It's like a grab bag. Yeah. Yeah. Cover like, Tunes Grab Bag. Do you ever listen to that by uh, Mercy Me? No. If you Google Cover Tunes Grab Bag, it's kind of fun. It's okay. Bart Millard and the band while they're backstage waiting to go on stage. And oh, they have like a paper bag. That's fun. And they just throw a bunch of random songs in there and they pull them out and then they'd that. sing them. It was cool. Some good musicians if they could just kind of randomly pick a song and they, play it. They are good musicians. Yeah. You wouldn't get that. They Dude, play so simply, but they're so good. Millard's got a good voice too. He's got a great voice. He's got such a good voice. He could sing anything and I would love to listen to it. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Hey, uh, chapter 10, verse 12. Let's start here. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. You've probably heard that. I have Pe- heard that. People before. have quoted that to you before, That especially the second part. Yeah. yeah. But this idea of hatred stirs up strife, right? So that that's that's obvious. That's face value. Okay, if if I've got hatred, I'm looking for conflict. I'm I'm looking to divide people. I'm, I'm a divisive person. I'm looking for strife and contention in relationships. On the flip side, love covers all offenses. Mm. This is one that's that's a little bit difficult, admittedly, because in Galatians six, for example, Paul says that if anyone's caught in a trespass or a sin that we who are spiritual have a responsibility to restore that person in a spirit of gentleness, right? So mm-hmm. covering an offense is not necessarily the same thing as not confronting it, not bringing it up, not not dealing with it. Right. But here, I think it's who's the one being offended, right? I think that's the the primary question here. Is it is it God that we're upset about the offense? If, if so, then we pursue the Galatian, Galatians 6 confrontation there. But if, if we've gotten our feelings hurt or our feel, toes stepped on, so to speak, love extends that charity to be willing to, to look to overlook the offense to to cover it up and let it go not having to, to nitpick and deal with and demand justice for every single thing that happens amen i liked uh, verse 19 this is going to be one i hang my hat on when, when words are many transgression is not <laughs> lacking but whoever restrains his lips who restrains them doesn't say all that he could say his, his lips he's prudent um as, as someone who speaks for a living, a lot anyway, I, I feel verses like this as particularly heavy because I don't want to uh, create more opportunities for my, myself to sin. So I think one of the lessons we could take away from this is we ought to restrain ourselves. We ought to speak carefully and thoughtfully and not just allow anything to come out of our mouths that comes to our brain. Of course, there's many other elements of this. You can think about self-control and maintaining someone's temper. I, and I'm sure those things are involved but keep in mind, the more that you talk, the more often you can talk yourself into a hole and into a great deal of trouble. James himself, the brother of Jesus in the flesh, said that whoever can restrain his tongue is a perfect man, which means that all of us will sin in many ways with our lips. And I'm sure you can think of even now things that you've said that you wish you hadn't, um, words that you spoke in anger or just in, in rashness that you wish you had not. And as, as much as we might sing song it in, a, in the child, what do you call it? The child saying, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yep. We all know that's entirely false. That is one of the biggest lies that we allow our kids to believe. Words do hurt. And this is one of the reasons why to wield our words wisely will mean restraining our lips and not saying all that we could say. When we do speak, let it be done with love. Yeah. Yeah. How about verse 23 as well? Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. What What is it that, that entertains us? Do we find... Like there's, it makes us laugh. Yeah. What, what are the things that... that you get pleasure from is it is it something that uh, this is a question I've, I've often asked people before is are we entertained are we amused by the things that 
for which Christ died for, right? I, I mean, when we think of the shows that we watch or, or the jokes that we tell or what we listen to around the water cooler at work, I mean, uh, the things that are, are entertaining us and amusing us, is this glorifying something that put Christ on the cross? And if it is, the, the Solomon would say, hey, man, that's, that's foolish to be entertained by such things. Rather, wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. That doesn't mean that as Christians, we're uptight and morose and, and we can't have a sense of humor. We can't laugh. We can't enjoy frivolity from time to time. But it's, it's a question of, of what's producing that. Where, where are we turning to find that entertainment? And we need to make sure that we're not finding pleasure in those things that are sinful, those things that are wrong. That's right. Fear of the Lord, verse 27, prolongs life. We've talked about this before. Is this life temporary or life eternal? And the answer to that question is yes. No. no. <laughs> it's yes. It's both, right? It's both. The fear of the Lord does prolong life temporary here on earth, but also life eternal specifically there. Uh, verse 29, the way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless. Look, you want to be secure. You want to be safe. You want to know, Hey, today I'm going to be walking in, in security and safety. Then, then walk in the way of the Lord. Well, what is the way of the Lord? How do I find the way of the Lord? We find it in the scriptures. You find it through doing what you're doing right now, giving yourself over to the study of the word of God. That's how we find the way of the Lord and the way of the Lord is safe for us as we walk throughout our day. Any others for you, PR? Man, so many. I'm restraining myself as I just talked about, <laughs> trying to keep my lips from saying too much. But man, so much of this. I'll get one last one. The lips of the righteous, verse 32 of chapter 10. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. So to to augment what I just talked about, when you do open your mouth, when we do desire to speak, um, we should aim to make sure that we possess sufficient wisdom and righteousness such that we could say what's helpful in the moment. It sounds a lot like the, the New Testament counterpart to let your speech be gracious and always seasoned with salt to have it to be appropriate. And, and what a great deal of wisdom it takes for, for us to know. Sometimes what, when is it called to correct or rebuke? And when is it called for us to just simply say, I'm going to cover over that offense? Mm. It takes wisdom to know, that, to, to know the answer to that in any given circumstance. Awesome. Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Okay. Where Paul unpacks quite literally why it is that you and I are, are sitting here right now doing what we're doing. That's right. 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter. And we're going to break this down, verses 1 through 33 today, and then verses 34 and following tomorrow. But he starts out by laying out the gospel. And talks about the, the fact that, look, I, this is the gospel I preached to you. This is the one I received. This is the one in which you stand. And this is the one in which you or by which you are being saved. Interesting. Yeah. It's, you might think, well, wait a minute. I thought I already was saved. Right. I, I was saved when I, I was saved. <laughs> but there's a, a sense in which we are progressively being delivered still. And, and this is not something that's incomplete in the sense that we, we need more than what we already have in, in Christ and the cross, but we are still here. We're still in this earth. We're still in these fleshly bodies. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a day coming in the future when we will be fully delivered, when our final salvation will be revealed to us. And yet in the meantime, we are in the process of being saved out of this world and out of these fleshly bodies uh, through the process of what we call sanctification. That's growth in holiness, growth in godliness. So when he says, by which you are being saved, he, he's not implying that salvation didn't take place for you at the moment of justification, right? right? When you were declared righteous, that's what takes place when you repent and trust in Jesus. That moment, you are saved in the sense that you're justified. But part of your salvation is also your sanctification, and that is what is ongoing currently and presently right now. And you are being saved through that same gospel, through that same grace, and ultimately you will perfectly be saved when you are in heaven with the Lord. We call this glorification. Yep. This is Romans 8, and Romans 8, if you remember, the golden chain of salvation. So yeah, we have been saved, we are saved, and we are being saved. All of that is put together in the, that one large melting pot called salvation. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, he goes on to unpack the gospel, and it boils down basically to Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ was raised, and Christ appeared. And that's where he goes in verses 3 through 11 there. And it's important, I think, that we notice a couple of things here. Number one, his connection back to the scriptures, where he keeps saying, in accordance with the scriptures, in accordance with the scriptures, in accordance with the scriptures. I noticed that. The scriptures at this time were the Old Testament. And so Paul's saying, this is what was prophesied. This is what was foretold. This is what what we should have been expecting all along. And this is the gospel. And so he's saying, these are the things that happen in accordance with the scriptures. Why, why do you think, Pastor Rod, he mentions not only his death, but also his burial? Well, uh, I was going to bring this up, actually. Thank you for bringing this up. Yeah. Um, there, was a, there was a heresy uh, kind of running around called docetism, um, doceo, which is the idea that Jesus appeared to be physical. He actually was not a physical person. So I think Paul might be subtly maybe not so subtly addressing some of these false teachings at that time to say, no, he was, he was really flesh and bone. He literally died on the cross and he was buried. If he was just a a spirit that appeared to be flesh, he probably would have just evaporated into the ether, but no, he was actually and truly buried because he was physical. Yeah, that's helpful. Christ appeared. That's an important one too, because Paul's saying, look, this is not something that's just being purported to you, purported to you by, you know, some random stranger or somebody else. Like we're eyewitnesses of this. And I love what he says there when he says he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. In other words, what he's writing to the church at Corinth is if any of you are doubting this, go talk to those dudes, go talk to them. They're, they're still living. You can go fact check this. Right. And here's what's different, right? So sometimes you might wonder, okay, so what makes us different from the Muslim who believes in what he believes in to the point that he's willing to strap a bomb to himself and go blow himself up for the the cause of what he believes in. Lots of differences, but yes, go ahead. Well, lots of, yeah, (laughs) but isn't, why, why is my conviction of the truth of Christianity better than his conviction? Well, his conviction is not based on eyewitness testimony, whereas our, our convictions are based on eyewitness testimony. As the gospel is emerging in the early church, those that were alive during the time of the events that the gospel is founded on, are they're around. They're there. They could have contradicted these things and said, no, wait, look, here's the body. Here's the tomb. Here's Jesus. He's still dead. But he didn't. And this is one of those evidences as well that, that Paul is giving here in 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah, it's it's no hyperbole to say that our faith rests on the on the resurrection. Totally. On Jesus living, dying and being r- raised from the dead. If this did not happen, as Paul will later say, yeah. this doesn't even make sense. We shouldn't be doing this. Right. And that's where he goes in the next section where he says in verse 14, if if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching's in vain and your faith is in vain. Oof. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Yep. Because that would imply that there was sin that Christ had that kept him in the grave. And so if there was sin that Christ had that kept him in the grave, then he couldn't have died for our sins because he had to die for his own sins. Yeah, he would have been a liar too. Right. Which would have been sin. Which would have been sin. (laughs) But because he rose from the dead, he rose from the dead as that stamp of approval from the Father on the Son's sacrifice. And you and I can say now we are forgiven because we see and we worship a risen Savior. And that's what Paul goes on to say. In fact, he has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits. First fruits being the pledge of what would follow. The first fruits were brought to the Lord as the offering to say, Lord, I'm going to bring you the best and the very first off the vine as a as an offering to you and a guarantee or a pledge of what would what would follow behind that. And so that's Christ for us when it comes to the resurrection. He's risen so we can have confidence that we also will be risen. Yeah, so so cool. And one thing I want to point out here, look at what the resurrection does for Paul in verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, speaking about the other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So Paul 
because of what the resurrection had done for him, he recognizes that, man, if the resurrection is true, then let it not be true of me that I will be found lacking. I'm going to give my very best because Jesus died and rose again. Man, yeah. That's what the resurrection does for us. Yeah. Hey, one last section here uh, in our reading for this today. In verses 29 and following, Paul addresses something going on there at the church in Corinth. And it seems uh, like a head-scratching moment for us as believers. He says, otherwise, he's, he's arguing for the validity of the resurrection. He says, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised, why are people baptized on their behalf? We might read that and think, oh, man, that, that sounds like Paul's condoning Some of my Mormon this. friends do this. Yeah, exactly. And for them, I think it's even a little bit different than what's going on here because the Mormons will be baptized on for the sake of the the unbelievers that are out there. Right. And they're, they're trying to help the unbelievers have to suffer less for rejecting uh, Jesus or rejecting God. And so they're baptized vicariously on their behalf. Mm-hmm. And, and that could be what's going on here. Another option is they could be being baptized vicariously on behalf of the Christians who were saved but not baptized before they died. And so in other words, they're going back and, and ba- being baptized for them because they weren't able to be baptized before they, they died. Either way, what we find here is Paul not condoning this, but appealing to the fact that the Corinthians were doing that as evidence of the fact that, that even this practice shows that they believed in the resurrection of Jesus. And so if there were those that were there that were teaching against the resurrection that, hey, Jesus has not risen, that Paul's going, hey, look, even this practice that's going on here, not that I'm saying it's good, not that I'm saying it's right, but even this practice that's going on here points to the fact that you guys believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. And that's the good thing. Christ has risen from the dead and we need to hold on to that. Right. And to the, and the very last verse that we cover in our reading plan, verse 32 says, look, the, this again provokes a kind of response from Paul, which it should for you and I. What do I gain, humanly speaking, if I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, and let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Everything is vanity and useless if there is nothing after this life. Right. It's so critical to understand this. Now, if you get it, if you do believe there's a life after death, if you can say, I'm living for eternity and not for the temporary here and now, then that, that's going to motivate you to live the life that God has called you to. So don't underestimate the value of putting your mind around this and letting it settle because it will help you in your walk of faith. Yeah. So uh, don't uh, don't go out and be baptized for the dead. Please don't do that. Yeah. No, we're not calling you to do that. But And neither is Paul, to be no. clear. Paul, and, Paul's not telling people to do this. Exactly. No, he's not. And yet, what you can do is go out encouraged by the resurrection. And like Pastor Rod said earlier, what that does is that causes us to want to go out and labor hard uh, for Jesus. That's right. Hey, I want us to circle back, maybe a, a new section here as we wrap up this podcast. We've asked for emails and we got one email real quickly uh, asking us a question about 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we've already covered that, but I did want to go back and touch on this to, to answer this question because it was a helpful uh, clarification. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 13 through 16, they're talking about a, a believer married to an unbeliever. Paul's saying, stay in the marriage. But then he says this in verse 14. He says, the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Our covenant friends will uh, point to this as a proof text for why we should baptize babies, a practice that we don't uh, do and, and carry on here at Compass Bible Church, but I wanted to address it. Um, is that teaching that, that the children are part of the covenant family and they should be baptized? In short, no, and here's why. You'll notice that it's not just the children that are referred to as holy here, but also the unbelieving spouse. And you're not going to find somebody that's going to point to the unbelieving spouse and say, well, the unbelieving spouse is part of the covenant family of God and should be baptized as well. So we wouldn't, it's, it's not, 
correct hermeneutics or the study of scripture or the exegesis here for us to then apply a different meaning to holy when it applies to the children in the same verse than we would to the unbelieving spouse earlier in the verse. Without due cause, right? Without due cause. And there's nothing in here to suggest a distinction. Right. Exactly. So is 1 Corinthians 7, 14 a proof text? Can we appeal to that to say babies should be baptized? The, The short answer is no. What this is saying is rather than the unbelieving spouse defiling the believing spouse, the unbelieving family members, spouse and children included, are receiving the blessings of having a believer in their family because they're going to be exposed to the gospel and have an opportunity down the road to potentially be saved because of the believing member of the family in the household there. Sounds good. So there you go. So if you've got questions like that, feel free to send them into podcast at compassntx.org. And we'll catch you again tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.